Welcome back to the world of spooky bees. And I don't mean the apian variety. I mean the letter B. If you're listening to the podcast, then by now you know we often manage to get to record lots of shows in a row, and thankfully we had a video episode last time, but it does mean our progress through the bees is slow, and we are leaving Bristol. The news roundup this week is that nothing is changing that soon, and, and if we attempt to, it'll be a disaster. Last week, the scientific advisors to the human custard pie that is the Johnson had to broadcast their advice saying if we open up schools before the end of April, tens of thousands of people will die. So far, our government have gone against most scientific advice, so I think we can assume this lockdown is going to go on a lot longer as they will open schools, pubs, clubs, colleges, you name it, thus prolonging our lockdown and destroying the economy even further. With this in mind, we are finding it increasingly difficult to legally be able to tell you where you should or should not be visiting, as technically you should not be going anywhere. This was why we mentioned some Bristol venues that you cannot actually visit just yet. And we might carry on doing that for a while, as well as the places that you can go to if you live within walking distance. There is actually good news, as parts of the UK have managed to get rid of Covid and open up, including the Isle of Man, and we've done an episode that featured haunted places to, that were free to visit on the island. Well done to the island. If only we could have been sensible, we would be in the same situation. But for the majority of us, we are stuck in the UK. Scotland's still doing better, Wales slowly catching up, but Ireland leading the way, and is technically the safest part to be a tourist right now. With all that in mind, then obviously, knowing our luck, the next place is in... England. Yes, of course it is. Currently the worst country in the world, with the worst death rate, but we are world-beating as we've been in position number one for quite a while now. Personally, I'm hoping to be able to get out there soon, as I've had my first vaccine yesterday, so hopefully in three months' time I'll get my next and be safe if I catch it. Remember, you are not safe from spreading it and killing others, or massively affecting your children's health, but it is one step closer to getting back to our favourite hobby of spook spotting, and one of the first places I might go is not far up the road from me, as it's Broadway in Hereford and Worcestershire. I've written about this area before in the Paranormal Tourist Guide to Gloucestershire. Now, I know that sounds confusing, as I've just said the area is Worcestershire, but the two border each other, and throughout history the border has moved, sometimes including the village, sometimes not. Currently, Broadway is classed as Worcestershire, but that could change at some point, so I will include a section about Broadway Tower that was first published in the Gloucestershire book. But we also have some updates and outdoor venues for you, should you decide to visit this excellent tourist spot when it is safe to do so. Let's start on the road into, or out of, Broadway, depending on which way you're heading, as we search for the rather offensive term, the village idiot. Yes, there are many covidiots around right now, not wearing masks and thinking this is all some big hoax to inject us all with tiny robots, but I mean an English phrase that's very old, normally referring to someone with mental issues, disabilities or learning problems. It should be noted, however, that the term idiot is not really that old, as it was used to define an IQ rating. We get the term from an old French word, idiota, meaning ignorant. We get our modern insult from the one about a hundred years ago as a form of medical diagnosis. Idiots meant those so defective that the mental development never exceeds that of a normal child of about two years old. Imbeciles meant those whose development is higher than that of an idiot, but whose intelligence does not exceed that of a normal child of about seven years old. Morons meant those mental development is above that of an imbecile, but does not exceed that of a normal child of about 12 years old. 
That's from Edmund Burke Huey, Blackerwood and the Feeble-Minded Children, 1912. So if you want to be offended, write to Edmund. Now, I know this is lacking any spooks yet, but I do love history and etymology. Let's get back to the point. Why am I telling you about the village idiot? There is a reason, and that might be that you might manage to see him on this road. We've mentioned him before on a previous episode, so I'll only give you a brief resume of his haunting. A village simpleton by the name of Ephraim Rolf was a rather popular figure with the locals. Not overly blessed with intelligence and with an affinity for animals, he made a meagre living scaring birds from the fields as a human scarecrow, if you will. Sadly, one of Ephraim's neighbours was plagued by a poacher for years, and as Ephraim was out on his bird-scaring rounds heading down Springfield Lane, he was mistakenly killed by a landlord who mistook him for the poacher. Look at my research, he seems to have been shot in the Springfield Lane, though he's not yellow with a penchant for donuts. this is not Homer Simpson, but a troubled spirit who haunts the fields rather than the lane. His thin and bony form can now be seen in the fields surrounding the road. The most famous place in Broadway is not in Broadway, as it's the tower just outside. Like most ancient castles, they rarely are in a town that are named after them, and in this instance, they are not exactly ancient, but we'll come to that soon. So what exactly do we know about the place regarding spooks? I've heard rumours about witchcraft and Satanism in the area, and this was confirmed when I contacted the tower and asked about their spooks. So I guess... The best way to explain is to print the email I got from their managing director. In 1797, the 6th Earl of Coventry commenced the construction of Broadway Tower, much to the consternation of the villagers, and it became known locally as the Witch's Tower. So although it would be the most improbable for Lady Coventry at the age of 70 to engage in any sinister practice, perhaps it may be well that the case that the local devil worshippers saw the tower as an ideal meeting point. Although Satanism was not public in England at this time, there were books published on the subject in France, so possibly it was practised widely in England, and if covens met at the Tower, perhaps they were restless spirits that are not yet in the ascendancy. On June the 2nd, 1943, a Whitley bomber crashed into the hills some 70 yards from the Tower, and an attempt to rescue was made by Albert Lowe, who was on duty at the ROC post at the time. He managed to save one crew member who later died, but then had to witness four other crew members die in the inferno, possibly even hearing their screams if they were not killed on impact. Albert never spoke about his experience to anyone, neither family or friends, and stood down from the Royal Observer Corps in 1945, and then did not enlist again when the Corps were established in 1947, and he was always said to be haunted by the events of that day, but perhaps that haunting was also seeing the crew members in mind or matter, and in this regard, he never came back to the hill ever again. Could it be that he was visited by the crew begging to be rescued, or was it that the horrors of the day were just too much? What does he mean by the words haunted? On a lighter note, Broadway Tower received many requests for ashes of deceased relatives to be scattered around the tower, for the primary reason that such relatives enjoyed the views and ambiance of the hill, and they would want to be here for evermore. Is it possible that the spirits of these departed are still enjoying their time on top of the hill with views and tranquility, and even possibly surreptitiously visiting the tower from time to time? So that was a letter there from Annette Gordon, the managing director of the tower. Now, I've spent many fantastic and enjoyable hours in the tower and around the area in the countryside and in the woods and so on. I can definitely say it's worth a visit. 
And if you are a devil worshipper or Satanist, then perhaps a visit in the daytime rather than at night might actually be on the cards. And more importantly, these fantastic buildings need paying visitors to make sure they can remain open, so no devil worshipping for free, please. All Satanists must post donations in envelopes upon arrival. Though by the looks of their website, covens of more than 12 people get group rates of 50 pence off per person. But with all joking aside, this is a marvellous site that even boasts its own herds of red deer. So fellow ghost hunters, you don't have to pack up your kit for the summer months. Get out and get a tan for once. Although a British summer is often rarer than an actual ghost. Since writing the above paragraph several years ago, I have since found more stories regarding the spooks that can be seen around the tower, and many tales talk about a shadowy male figure walking nearby the tower. I have problems with these vague, shadowy people stories, especially if it's after I've written about the venue. As I know, several people buy my books and then go out ghost hunting, so for all I know, the follow-up sightings are ghost hunters spotting each other, due to me telling them to head out in the dark to a castle tower. There are difficult places to search for on the internet, and Broadway is one of them, due to sharing its name with the theatrical mecca of all musical theatre fans. Therefore, you need to be more specific, and it does not help when the more specific search is a place called Middle Hill, of which there are hundreds throughout the UK. This Middle Hill is a couple of kilometres south of Broadway, and has a legend attached to it that might possibly manifest in the form of an auditory ghost. During the dissolution of the monasteries, many monks and clergy took to hiding their church's treasures in various hiding places. Then the clergymen ended up burning with their churches or monasteries, thus losing the location forever. This happened in Broadway, but the valuables were the church bells, not gold or silver. They were hidden somewhere in the woods and have never been found again. They have, however, been heard. The most famous version of the legend states that during World War II, bell ringing was not allowed unless it was to indicate some form of attack or air raid. Thus, when the villagers heard the bells ringing, they went into panic mode until they realised the bells were coming from the woodland and not the church. These bells were occasionally heard by people walking out in the woods to this day, yet most of the time they're ignored as people assume it's just normal bell ringers, if there's such a thing as a normal bell ringer and not actually a phantom campanologist. Broadwell, Stow-on-the-Wold, Gloucestershire. Yet another one of these superbly beautiful Cotswold-style villages, stone cottages, streams and village greens, a local pub and, of course, the almost mandatory cute little church. An historic village dating back at least as far as the Doomsday Book when it had 46 people living here. And during the Middle Ages, these people seem to have been joined by an order of Benedictine monks. So am I now to regale you with tales of hooded monks wandering around the village green? Uh, no, I will hand you to the other stalwart of all villages, the haunted pub. Even though we cannot get inside during Lurgy lockdown, soon restrictions will be lifted and then several months later it will be safe to go into them. Welcome to the Fox Inn. From what I can ascertain, the ghost is that of a former landlord. He seems to do all the things a pub ghost is famous for. He closes doors, he can be heard pacing around upstairs uh, when there's nobody there, the, the smell of pipe tobacco is there, and he's also responsible for moving cutlery around on set tables. What's intriguing, however, is that customers claim to have caught sight of him sat at the bar, surrounded by an intense cold sensation. For the more sober ghost hunter, then venture out of the pub and into the street, for we have a grey lady that is a bit of a streetwalker. There's a bridal path between Broadwell and Stow-on-the-Wold, and there are historical reports of a female figure seen gliding along on this path. 
She carries an umbrella, regardless of the weather, and is seen around dusk. Reports claim that if she is spoken to or approached, she disappears. Now, this fits perfectly into the stone tape, video replay style of ghost. When its pattern of behaviour is interrupted, then it seems to just suddenly stop, as though pressing stop on a DVD player and the image just goes. The bridal path ghost is not seen that often, so good luck searching for her and remember to take a camera with you at dusk. Another one that's been sighted in the day and in the street is of a civil war extraction. This one seems to have a death wish, even though it's dead. A soldier has been seen stepping out in front of cars and then disappearing. Broadwell, the Forest of Dean, Gloucestershire. Hopewell Colliery. I've led a few ghost hunting groups down this mine, and it's an excellent place to visit, but do check before you go that it will be open. And more importantly, only go in good weather, and that it's not been raining for days on end beforehand, as the mine can actually flood, and at various times of the year it's not possible to get into it, unless you have a diving suit. Obviously, this is not a free place to visit, and at the moment of writing, this is not exactly COVID-safe. But should the UK ever get to be a Covid-zero country, then this is an excellent little working museum. There are always tales of ghosts in mines, and this one is no exception. We were taken on a little tour of the mine by one of the staff as we were going to be bringing lots of groups here looking for spooks. This guy told us how one day they were in the mine and they could hear another person walking through the mine, which they naturally assumed was another member of staff. They thought it would be rather funny to hide around the corner and wait until this new person arrived and in true Scooby-Doo style, jump out and scare the life out of them. Our fake spooks were silently sat trying to stifle their laughter as they heard this unknowing victim head towards them closer and closer. Unfortunately, the footsteps stopped, just short of where they were sat, so they couldn't jump out, and after waiting for an extremely long time for this person to carry on around the corner, the pranksters gave up and decided to announce that they were there. When they came out of their hiding place, they were rather perturbed to find that they were the only people in the mine. When we did take large groups of ghost hunters down there, we did have a few weird experiences with people claiming that they could hear something following them. We also had to carry one person out of the mine who had collapsed and was unable to breathe, so I'm not sure if that was a spook or just an asthma attack. Broccoli and Broccoli Coombe, Somerset Broccoli, or Broccoli Coombe, seems to be throwing its hat into the ring for the big fight to claim to be the most haunted place in the UK. I'm still firmly in the Presbury Gloucestershire camp, and I'm sure the people of Kent are rooting for Pluckley. And just as these pugilists were donning their gloves, in comes another contender in the form of Broccoli in Somerset. I was hoping to get us up to Scotland or across the sea in Ireland, but no, we've moved a few miles from our Bristol episodes and headed slightly southwest. This coombe is a lovely, picturesque spot that transforms on occasions into the gateway to hell, or indeed a place with spooks. In the woodlands, we can hopefully find the ghost of a 90-year-old woman that goes by the name of Dina Swan. So allegedly, she died of fright back in 1833, after her house was broken into and she was robbed. She was found in her house with several items missing, so perhaps she's wandering around trying to find the items. Might not want to ask her, as the legend claims that it's bad luck to actually see her. This is not the only spook. If you intrepid spook spotters head out, there are previous ghost hunters who have struck paranormal gold before in these woods because of a phantom coach. And obviously we are referring to coach and horses. 
To our American tourists, there is not a baseball instructor or football coach wandering around the woods. And, and whilst we're on the subject, the word football has a clue in the name. The part that says foot does not say hands or does, does not say that you should wear a suit of armour to play this game whilst you're in the UK. Try watching rugby and see how you should be playing it. Was that a weird digression that I just spotted? How unusual of me. Right, back to coaching horses. The spook was first reported by a group of travellers, or as they were referred to back then as a group of gypsies who were temporarily living in the woods. They saw a coach driven by four horses and they claimed the driver was headless. This led a ghost hunter to head out and try and find the spooks, which he did whilst on his own without a camera or other witnesses, sadly. Another witness tells how they were cycling along when the coach appeared and went right through them. This is just a small section of the witnesses to this spook, and on looking through all the ghost stories, I am not sure if all the stories relate to the same ghost, as there are numerous accounts of another headless horseman, this time without a coach. So it's a coachless and a headless horseman. Uh, just one headless guy on a horse. This noggingless nag rider seems to favour dark moonless nights for their appearances. The road also seems to have a strange spook that I have read tantalisingly small snippets of information about, as he's known as a bounder, and I do not mean an upper-class, unpleasant man from days gone by. I mean a man who bounds as in running and jumping. He seems to run ahead of people, then just disappear. The descriptions I've tracked down claim that he's a slender man running through the woods. Perhaps he's running from another figure that is seen in the woods, that of a man in black who just stands silently by a tree, then vanishes. There is more unpleasant spooks that you might bump into, in the form of the evil parson. And no, this is not the ghost of the late Nicholas Parsons, a lovely television presenter who once recorded some lovely ghost stories for me for a collection of tales about Cheltenham. Wait, that is that me going off on some sidetrack yet again? This unpleasant undead creature is thought to be seen along the roads, running through the coombe. He's supposedly the spirit of John Hibbertson. Our story starts with him as the good guy. It's claimed that in 1776 he witnessed the squire of Chelvey, James Stevens, have a rather nasty fall, leaving him injured. John then nursed him back to health. All good so far. We have a lovely religious man doing his God's work and helping the community. This soon changed, for it said once Hibbertson had gained the trust of the squire, he persuaded him to alter his will, meaning Hibbertson would inherit a large sum of money should something slightly unluckier happen to the squire, and unsurprisingly, as soon as he changed his will, something did happen to him. John is supposed to have murdered him, partly because the local legend states that it may have been a different god that John Hibbertson favoured. It is claimed that he was into devil worship, to the extent that when John died, an evil-looking monstrous beast entered the home of John to claim his soul for Satan. Therefore, feel free to wander around looking for a murderous, religious man that may possibly be being followed by a monstrous beastie. I've seen lots of reports of a phantom girl, but nothing other than reports of the legend of a girl that killed herself by jumping from a craggy cliff edge after a love affair that she was involved with did not end well. The Phantom is also apparently seen wandering around the woods, though I cannot be more precise than that. So please inform us if you do see her, so I can update the location. Our next location is slightly easier to find, as it is St Nicholas's Church in the middle of the village of Broccoli. It's supposedly still haunted by an apparition known as the Little Lady in Brown. She's thought to be that of a former cleaner who died around 1900. 
Various witnesses include people who visited the church and seen a ghost in the church's aisles and vestry. Ghost hunting has always been a popular hobby, even before the invention of all the electronic gadgets that we have now, all of which seem to do nothing. And back in the 40s, there was a well-known ghost hunter called Elliot O'Donnell. Elliot conducted an all-night vigil at the church back in the 1940s, and I would love to say that they took some excellent photographs of this little lady in brown. However, he saw nothing, but did report strange whisperings and footsteps with no discernible, identifiable source. There is a gravestone depicting a skull and crossbones motif, which is reputedly the grave of a sick but now regretful and penitent pirate. This man spent his dying days in the village, being cared for by the vicar, this one was apparently a nice clergyman with no plans to make him change his will or even to murder him, though for all we know, perhaps he was hoping for some pirate treasure or secret map to come his way. I know we are only supposed to talk about haunted places that we can visit, but whilst we're in the area, let's mention the old manor house, as it contains an interesting story of fake spooks, including a tale about our famous ghost hunter, Elliot O'Donnell. They visited the house many times and came to the conclusion that it was definitely haunted, Perhaps the most terrifying spook was that of a ghost of a monk. One of O'Connell's companions was terrified beyond his wits, according to reports, when a monkish figure with a horrible skull-like face suddenly leapt up the stairs towards him. Just as they had calmed the witness, the apparition decided to appear again, this time in a chamber dubbed the Haunted Room, and was subsequently photographed by another of O'Donnell's acquaintances. When the film was developed, it showed the face of an evil-looking monk. Now, I could leave the tale there for you and show you that there is proof that ghosts can be photographed, except for one thing. According to Ian Wilson in Search for Ghosts, published by Headline in London 1996, pages 45 to 46, this photograph was deliberately faked by dentistry student Arthur Spencer Palmer and his younger brother Charles in 1909 by double exposure in the camera with Arthur wrapped in a sheet. This was all supposed to be an elaborate joke, but the brothers forgot to tell people about it and didn't own up to the jest until many years later. After World War I, in which Charles was killed in action, Arthur set up his dental practice in Nairobi, Kenya. Whilst he was in Kenya, the area had a celebrity visitor who came and gave a public talk. It was the famous writer and spiritualist obsessive Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Having nothing better to do in Kenya at the time, any entertainment is worth a punt. So he attended the lecture and was surprised to see his photograph projected as evidence of the afterlife. It was at this point that he decided to own up to the deception, having not realised that the photograph had attracted a lot of attention back in the UK. He stood up in the crowd and proclaimed, I am that ghost. He was invited onto the stage and he took the opportunity to explain how it was all done, with the incident being reported back in the newspapers in England and abroad. You can do a quick Google search and find the photo, and it's quite obviously a double exposed fake. But remember, for a lot of people this was new technology, and to them the camera never lied, whereas to us any pic is likely to have been processed with filters, photoshopped, whatever your app you have downloaded this week. The ghosts in the house do seem to have several witnesses, however, and looking back through all the reports, we get a name, that of the wealthy Smith Piggots, the lords of the manor, who own many thousands of acres between here and Western Supermare. Old woman Piggott's shade was frequently seen by members of the family wearing a frilly collar and carrying a rapier. 
Not a pleasant-looking spook to encounter, and this one seems to have interacted with the living as the legends claim that on several occasions the entity picked up or dragged people out of bed. The spectre of the old woman is said to be so terrifying and horrific that anyone who sees her could be driven mad. It may be a small village, but it seems to have made up for it with its population of spooks, and despite its small size, the village managed to get a mention in the Doomsday Book, where it was called Brocheli, B-R-O-C-H-E-L-I-E, the place of the badgers, and not the home of broccoli, or even broccoli-eating badgers. Broderick Castle, Isle of Arran. My plan was to end this week's episode here, but I have managed to find a ghost in a safer country, that being Scotland. And even though it's in a castle that we are currently unable to get into due to lurgy lockdown, I desperately want to put a Scottish story into this week's episode. This ghost appears in a particularly lovely part of Scotland on the Isle of Arran. Please check before heading out that you can actually get to Arran. At the moment there are severe travel restrictions, and quite rightly so, due to lurgy. However, if you manage to get to Arran then there are some obvious sights to see, and more importantly some obvious tastes to partake in in their distilleries, but ideally do that after you've headed to the castle and the gardens. It is a National Trust for Scotland property, so do check out on their websites about access and opening times, as we really want to get into the castle to experience these spooks, though there is in theory a few to be seen in the grounds. Within the castle, the most famous spook has to be that of the Grey Lady. It is thought to be the ghostly spirit of a servant girl from the Cromwellian era, the legend states that she had a torrid love affair with the captain of the guard, and as most of these stories go, she eventually became pregnant and was then dismissed from service at the castle. Sadly, in these rather unenlightened times, as per usual for women in her predicament, she tried to return to her family, this family being in nearby Corrie, but they disowned her. We should take a little sidetrack here, as her ghost may appear in several places, as there is a tale of a spook at Corrie, for all we know, it may be the same ghost, but this one is said to look like an old lady. That might be because people are seeing her shawl wrapped around her and thinking it's an old person's garment. This woman is, however, rather upset and crying, and she's walking away from the beach. I'm told the best place to spot her is at the Cat's Stone, which is a large boulder lying on the road between Corrie and Sanox. Now, back to a tale of woe regarding our unfortunate young maid. With no way to survive, she went to the Wineport Quay by the entrance to Broderick Castle, and drowned herself. Her ghost haunts many areas of the castle, and occasionally in the quay area, but predominantly within the castle walls and the servant areas of the castle, such as the kitchen, lower corridors, and the turnpike stairs, which lead to the East Tower and the battlements. Witnesses claim to have seen her supervising existing current staff who have been scrubbing the castle floors as if she was talking to them. This is where the history gets murky and turns into legend, as another story claims the Grey Lady Castle ghost was a woman that ended up locked in the dungeons with two other women and died of starvation. They were locked in the castle dungeons because they had the Black Death, so maybe the perfect time during this lurgy outbreak for them to reappear. This is not the only ghost within the castle walls, and in the library another has been seen, this time in the form of an old man although no one knows who he is or why he's there. The descriptions of him do make it rather hard to mistake him for any other castle guest, as they claim he's wearing green and a rather badly fitting wig. Delving back into legend and folklore, we have another tale about a white stag that is seen in the grounds, though this is like other similar tales in Scotland and Ireland, and is supposed to appear as a harbinger of doom, 
or at least to a member of the ruling family of the castle, as it's supposed to mean that the clan chief of the Hamiltons is about to die. So, we managed to crowbar in a Scottish ghost this week, and we thankfully got away from the south of England, where we've been stuck for the last few weeks. And until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and keep spook spotting. Goodbye! Goodbye!